All right, turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 10. I'm excited about today's message. Um, it's one of the uh, probably most, if you ask anyone, even off the street, no one's gone to the church. This might be one of the stories that people know. It's the story of the Good Samaritan. A Good Samaritan has invaded our culture, even as Americans. It's, it's in us and through us in different ways maybe you don't even respect or expect. It's in uh, our laws. There's Good Samaritan laws. If you know how to do CPR and you see a wreck on the side of the road, you are by law supposed to stop. It's called a Good Samaritan law. Um, so if you have been given the ability to help someone in a difficult situation, you should do it. Um, it just kind of works that way. You have uh, Good Samaritan hospitals. You have all kinds of things like this. But we kind of gloss over it. This word Samaritan has entered our uh, vernacular, but it doesn't, uh, we kind of just kind of go, okay, it's a Samaritan. In the story, there's three characters. There's, or four, the guy who gets beat. Not my favorite character. <laughs> the, the one I, you know, if you were in Sunday school and you, got, if you, if you went to church when you were younger in the, uh, and you did Sunday school, there was always Good Samaritan Day. <clears throat> and somebody got wrapped up in toilet paper probably and beat on the side of the road. You always wanted to be the beater and not the beady in that, that. For some reason, my mom always put me in the toilet paper and wrapped me in the corner. I don't know why she did that, but that's what happened in my life. We'll talk about that in therapy later. Um, Luke chapter 10, verse 25. But then there's a couple other characters I want to just kind of set the stage for you. Is There's also a priest who uh, should have known all, all the law and all what's going on. And there's a Levite who also should have known all the law, and this is the kind of the religious elite of the day. And the Samaritan, in historical context, is kind of a, a half-breed Jew. He is the antithesis of everything that Jewish people want. A Samaritan is a sellout, and not just a sellout of faith, but he's a sellout to different cultures and different ways of practicing uh, Judaism. And he's kind of orphaned uh, the whole faith. And so the promises of Abraham that you will be uh, like the sand and the, you'll be more numerous than the sand, the stars in the sky. Uh, Jews looked at the Samaritans as people who kind of abandoned the covenant, abandoned the promise. So there's this real deep-seated hatred. It's not, there's no love lost. There's, you would travel around Samaria, and Jesus even does this sometimes. He walks around it. It's, the shortcut is this way, and he walks in the desert farther to get away from the Samaritans. I don't, that's just the way of travel was, but you did not go there. You did not love these people. You did not care about these people. So as we read the scripture, keep this, these kind of players in your head. Also, the, the area in which they are traveling, the road between Jerusalem and Jericho is a nasty road. It's actually known as the Valley of the Shadow of Death. This is when... when um, David is writing in the Psalms, uh, as I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. We've probably all heard that in different ways or rap songs or whatever. Uh, it's in there. I don't know why. But uh, you, you walk through that. It is, I rode on it in a 15-passenger in a van. If you want to get close to Jesus, ride in a 15-passenger van uh, in, the, in the valley of the shadow of death because like, there is a 200-foot drop on this side, and you have a, an Israeli driver going, look down there. That's just what's going on. <laughs> I was there with my dad, who was a larger individual, especially then. He's been slowing down. I'm proud of him. But I was like, Dad, why don't you lean on that side of the, of the van? I'll look out the window. You lean this way. Uh, because we, we were, I was scared out of my mind. An 18-year-old boy in this, this Israeli driver said, look down there. There's a monastery down there. I'm good. I don't need to. I'll buy a postcard. It's cool. It's scary. It's nasty. There's, there's no water. It's a desert, craggy, 
just, it looks like something the Lone Ranger would have been in in an old show. I mean, just, you're expecting a, a bandits to pop out at any second. And that's what this place is kind of like. Uh, you can Google it or what if you want. Uh, Google Maps it and get a look at what that looks like. But it is a foreboding place. It is not a nice place. There's not like little palm trees everywhere. There's not water everywhere. This is bad, bad, bad place. You expect a roadrunner and coyote to be, be around there, okay? Does that paint the picture for you, hopefully? All right. Let's read the scripture. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? Jesus replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love, the neighbor, love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this, and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. When he was attacked by robbers, they stripped him of his clothes and beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. When he saw the man, he passed on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place, saw him, passed on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. All right, there's some nuances here. One, this is interesting. Jesus is at a party again. This is where this is taking place. And when I'm at a party, I don't try to play gotcha politics. Where were you on the night of? And that's not what, what this is a guy. He's like, oh, he's an expert in the law, which some of your translations might say lawyer. And that's not like a lawyer that we would think of. It is an expert in the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. His job is to advise people and how to live according to this. You go to this man and say, all right, if I do this, am I still okay? Am I still clean? Am I still ceremonial clean? Can I still go to temple? Do these things. And he would kind of give you a check offer on, nope, you need to go wash. You need to go sacrifice a dove. You need to go do X, Y, or Z. Does that make sense? So this guy knows it. He knows this. And so he's, you, you have to get the sense of arrogance. This guy's going to step up. Oh, I'm going I'm to get this, this Jesus dude. And Jesus is like, okay, bring it. Uh, so he, he stands up <coughs> and he asks, you know, how do you do that? Well, Jesus just kind of keeps on putting it back on the guy, keeps on putting it back on the guy, which I love. And this lawyer, look what he does to this lawyer. This lawyer knows all the rules. Now, if you read Leviticus for five minutes and stay awake, congratulations. But if you read Leviticus, there's just rule after rule after rule, numbers, rule after rule after rule, Deuteronomy, rule, do this, do that, don't do that, do this. There's just law after law after law after law. He makes the lawyer say the only thing that's important is love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. I got them out of order, sorry. And love the neighbor as yourself. So he makes the lawyer boil his whole life's work into two sentences. This whole big thing. The Torah is a good chunk of the scripture. It's bigger than the whole New Testament. He makes them boil all that down to two sentences. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. And then Jesus, because then the guy goes, oh man, 
he just kind of negated my whole existence by my own words. Do you see, see that happening there in the scripture? And so he's like, well, well, well who's my neighbor? <laughs> uh, and he says, okay, I'll tell you a story. You catch at the end, verse 37, the expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. See, this racism runs so deep that he couldn't even say the Samaritan. Right? He says the one who had mercy. Don't, don't gloss over that. Don't miss that because he's saying, I can't, I can't even say that the Samaritan did the right thing. I can't even say that this, this guy did the right thing. And that's, uh, that's a heart issue that Jesus is like, okay, well, go and do likewise. And so that guy has to be going, oh, man, he wrecked me. <laughs> and you can see why religious elite people got mad at him because no one likes to be proved wrong when you're trying to prove somebody else wrong. That's always fun. <coughs> Excuse me. That's what's going on here in the Scripture, but there's a couple things going on here that we have to identify. I think one of the first, as I look at world events and I look at Jesus' teaching, I talked to my dad this week. Uh, we're sitting at the, sitting watching the water um, or our bobbers. It didn't really matter if nothing was doing. <laughs> it's the same thing. Um, and I just said, you know, Dad, it's really hard not to be racist right now. It's really hard not to hate Muslims right now. It's really hard. It's really hard for me not to. If a Muslim moved in next door to me, for me to feel comfortable with my kids playing in the backyard and all this stuff, and I know that's a and it's an issue, right? And so I'm like, I'm just admitting that to you, Dad. That's it's hard because everything that I hear is just crazy stuff. And we we're just talking about it, working through it. And the scripture kept on coming up: "Love your neighbor as yourself." I'm like, but I don't want to love my neighbor. I want to have stereotypes. I want to have preconceived notions. I want to have hate in my heart. But Jesus is talking exactly to that situation. So to make it real day, that's, this is how the, the angst that we feel. That is how people would have felt when you said the word Samaritan. You can't have a Samaritan be the hero. You can't have someone named, have a bin in their name or a, you know, a, something like that be the hero of a story. But that's what Jesus is doing. He's saying, hey guys, that... That guy's being the neighbor. And that, to me, kind of worked on me. And the scripture this week, as I've been wrestling, it's been working on me. What's my, how's my attitude? What does that look like? Our, our skin colors, our language barriers, our dress codes causing me to love less or not to love at all? Because what is Jesus calling me to do here? It is a two-part thing. It's not one or the other. It's not just love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. It is that and love your neighbor as yourself. It's a two-part thing. You can't have one without the other. They don't mesh. You can't love God with all your heart, soul, and strength and not love his creation. They don't, they don't, that would be like you saying, well, I love Jared, but I cannot stand Bowen. That kid, oh my goodness, right? Because listen, folks, if you, if you tell me like you can't stand my son, it's going to have an issue. <laughs> Uh, that's, that's not going to work, right? Do you, you understand that? You can't, you can't be in love with God and say, well, I, you know, I'm not going to care for his creation. And so these two things are inseparable. And as I deal with stuff in, in, in the real world events, like ISIS, like what's going on over there, and the Christians who are being killed over there, and I deal with stuff like happening right out, you know, just a couple hundred miles away from here, Ferguson, and the crazy stuff that's going on there and the, the issues there. So we have to take a hard look at ourselves and say, what's our faith like? What is it? 
Because if we boil it all down, Jesus is allowing the whole Scripture, all of the Torah, as Jesus would have understood Scripture, to be boiled down to two sentences. Love God with everything and love people. And i got to look at myself and say, am I doing that? And if there's parts that are causing angst and there's parts that are, that are, that are, that are almost like a hangnail, <laughs> like they just, they just bother me, you know, it's like, mm, mm, mm. i got to examine that and see why it is. What's going on? How do I get rid of that? How do I work on it? God, I'm really having an issue with here. How do I get through that? And here in Shorewood, we can isolate ourselves pretty easily. I mean, we like... Demographics, I looked it all up and we're here, 93% white. This is not the most diverse place in the whole world, right? Now you go on the other side of 55, you've got it. I was talking to an African-American lady who wanted to start a ministry for um, unwed teenage moms here at the church. Um, and I said, okay, I would love for you to start this, but I want you to know. It's like, you know it too. There is a racial wall at Highway 55. I don't, I don't like it. I don't know what it is. I've been here in town. This was, I was only here a couple months when this happened. I said, I noticed the first time I walked in here. I don't know what's going on. She was like, you noticed that? I was like, yes. <laughs> I was like, what is that? She's like, I don't know. It's just weird. It's like a do not cross line, but it doesn't exist. I was like, this is so, I've been in the South for 10 years. This is weird. <laughs> so for me, it's just different. And we have to be cognizant of that. Yeah, we could go along our whole days and, and um, not interact so much with minorities or whatever that, that looks like for us. But we have to be cognizant of it. If I am in that interaction, is that conversation going different? Is that, is, what's my heart doing at that moment? i got to constantly examine myself in that. And I have some of my best friends um, are, are African-American. And we have long conversations. And it's one of those, those I'm Keith, he's a pastor down in Georgia. And I said, Keith, I'm going to offend you just because I'm ignorant. Can you help me with my ignorance? And so I'll say, Does, what, what was that? And he'll be like, Jared, you can't say that. Why can't I say that? Because this and this. Oh, that makes sense. And it was just, it was just a mutual trust. And I'm like, Keith, you can't do that either. Why not? Because of this. Oh, it, it was just, but that took years to develop, didn't it? Right? That wasn't an overnight thing like, oh, you can tell me and I'm an idiot to my face in the first conversation. Those usually don't go well. <laughs> um, but it, it's, the, uh, it's the openness to, I want to love you. I know this might be a problem for me. Look, listen, I grew up in Kokomo, Indiana. You guys don't know this, but the biggest KKK rally ever held was in Kokomo, Indiana. And so there's latent, that was 1926, but it's, that's generationally still there. Like their grandpas still live in that, that town. And so there, there's these, this generationally, you have to keep on hitting it, saying, examining my heart. What does this look like? What does this look like? Okay. And I call us to all of that because who is my neighbor? everybody's my neighbor. But I want to get more specific in that. I want to deal with our actual like, geographic neighbors. Maybe you need to check your heart in that situation. Do it. I'm not belittling that or making it less. I want to spend some time there. But I also want to be very intentional with what it looks like for our mission statement here because I don't think we're going on any mission trip to uh, Iraq lately. I don't have one scheduled. We could work on that, but that would be exciting, okay? So, um, so we're, we're, we don't have that yet, uh, so we'll see. Now, what does it look like for the mission field of our neighbors? Because if we're going to reach, grow, serve the community for Christ, what does that look like? Because we have actual neighbors who live next to us that we don't treat like neighbors, we treat like strangers. Now, I noticed a credible phenomenon when I moved here. 
people, I moved here in June, right? People are extremely friendly in June. So you all know it because you lived here. I did not know this. I was like, this place, everybody always told me Chicago people were cranky. Like, they didn't, you know, they didn't talk to people. What, what's going on? They're like, why would you want to move to Chicago? I was like, moved here in June and more friendly than the people in the South. Huh. That stereotype is totally blown. Well, then November happened. <laughs> right? It's like, do not, your world is in your parka. Okay, you do not, do not pass go, do not collect $200, do not knock on my door, do not, you know, do, everybody starts hibernating. And that was, I was like, oh, and they literally hibernated, it blew my mind, did not understand it. And so I knew my, my neighbors for a couple months, and then they disappeared. And I was like, where'd they, where'd they go? Like, I thought one of my neighbors moved. They had a little kid that my kids were playing with, like, every day, and it's whoop, gone. They're still there, they still live there, the Jets, wonderful little family. Crazy. So I think we have to examine ourselves in our neighborness. How, that's not a word, but I'll try it. Uh, so how we are doing in our, in, our, in our little sphere of influence as who's our neighbor. Because even our actual neighbors, I don't know if we treat them as actual neighbors anymore. It's something that we've lost. Um, probably just in the last 15, 20 years. You probably used to know who your neighbors were, and you kind of they've moved out, and the the conversations hasn't happened. It's a whole world phenomenon. We can talk for hours about that. But it's, it's just different. Um, I never learned how to be a neighbor. I, my next-door neighbors when I grew up were Taco Bell and Rallies, which is, I think you have Rallies here. It's Checkers Rallies. It's owned by the same people. So much so that I could order a hamburger from my parents' bedroom. That's how close it was. They had somebody uh, was driving a stick shift as a teenager. They did not know how to drive the stick shift, and they didn't park it right, or didn't put the emergency brake down, and they rolled through our hedges and into my parents' bedroom. Like that's how close we were. Okay, uh, you think the school and the fireplace? If I, no, no, no. Because uh, we lived in the parsonage of the church, and those are my neighbors. And so you don't really go over and you know ask for butter from rallies, which. They would have had plenty of, but we, you don't go and, and do that. That's, that wasn't a, a normal thing. I was talking to my dad about it. He's like, yeah, it's weird. I live here now, and I have actual neighbors. I've got to get out of my rallies, you know, Taco Bell uh, idea. <laughs> okay. And so the same thing's for me. And um, In Georgia, I was a terrible neighbor. I don't know why I was. I was a terrible neighbor. I lived there for 10 years in the same house and um, didn't get to know anybody. And everybody lived there. Nobody moved. We were all in the same spot. And I, we never got to know each, each other. One, the only time I asked my neighbor for something was when my lawnmower literally blew up in the front yard, and I had it half cut, which is a pet dad. But you know, everyone notices that something's wrong when you have like weeds this tall and the, the engine's on fire. Uh, so I knocked, I knocked at my neighbor's yard. He was like, what? I was like, ah! <laughs> could I borrow your lawnmower? He's like, why? I was like, uh. He goes, oh, that's a problem. And so he, he let me use his lawn, kind of threw his lawnmower at me. He's like, it's in the basement. Go get it. I'm like, okay. All right, what's your name? <laughs> so I was a terrible neighbor, and I didn't practice any of the, the things that I knew I should be, but we just did not interact with our lives. And maybe you find yourself in that kind of place now. And so when I moved here, I was like, I'm going to be a better neighbor. And uh, my neighbor that I live next to now, I'll ask him, do you have this tool? And he just sends me his, guitar, his, his garage code. Like I'm like, what does that mean? Is he talking? Oh, he's letting me in his house. Okay. Uh, so, I, But it's great. We're, we're talking about... Um, his kids and what they're going through. And I was invited to their, they were invited to our kid's birthday party and we were invited to their 13-year-old's birthday party, which was really funny uh, to be around. 
and just interacting with life and doing life together in a different way. Um, there's not the expectation of, hey, are you going to come to church? Are you going to be here? That's, you know, I would love it if they, they came to church here, but that, it's more of, can I love you in this place here and now? And I've got Jeff, another house. He's got like six kids. Like, Jeff, what's going on? He, doesn't, he always looks frazzled because <laughs> oh, they're all like under the age of seven. So they're like, oh. It's like, how can, how can I help you, buddy? <laughs> so uh, we're, just, we're just trying to love on these families before November happens and everybody starts hibernating. <laughs> so it happens. It's okay. I understand why it just happens. I want to talk about that mindset of how do we step into that and how do we live out, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and your neighbor is yourself, how that becomes the focal point of our Christianity. Because that's what Jesus is doing. And how does that inform what we do with our neighbors? And how does that inform how we talk to them? I think it's a very internal thing and a very external thing. Part of this is for us to prepare ourselves to love our... The first sentence is for us to prepare ourselves and be in a right place that we can love our neighbors uh, well. Excuse me. The first thing is this. We have to be filled with a passion for God. We have to be filled with a passion for God. And there is an order to these in which God institutes, I think, is a right order. We have to be filled in a passion for God. With all of your heart and all of your soul, that is a passionate response. Some of you know college football. You all live in Illinois, so college football started yesterday. I don't know if you have a college football team here. Do we, we do that? Just kidding. Anyway, on my Facebook statuses yesterday, I could not get away from Go Dogs, Georgia Bulldogs. Oh my goodness. Facebook was boring because all it was about was, I'm a girly man, I'm a girly man, I'm a girly, because girly is a running back and he was amazing. But talk to Kelly if you want to have passion about Georgia football. We have passion in our house about from Georgia football, so much so that our dog, Joy, can do the Georgia at the kickoff, there's a go dogs, and the whole crowd, 100,000 people go, Ooh. so Joy, Joy, go dogs, Joy never barks. If you come to my house, you wouldn't even know there's a dog there until a Georgia football game's on, and then she starts barking at everything, because we have the passion that Kelly has. It's not really me. I sit there, Woo. but Kelly has for college football invades everything around us. For some of you, it's the Bears or the Blackhawks. Or that bull team. I don't know. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's some, some other sport thing here. But the same as you know, living in SEC, you got that passion for football. It was invasive. And we, we have that. In, um, but I wonder, we have that for our football teams. We have that for maybe, I don't know, anything that we're involved in. Crocheting, basket weaving, whatever it is. that If you're truly passionate about it, it bleeds on you. It it, you, you can't get away from it, right? If you walked in my house, Bowen got this really cool Winchester repeating rifle for a birthday, and you put shells in it, not actual, well, you put plastic shells in it, doesn't, <laughs> that sounded really bad, and then you shoot people with it. Uh, we had a dog. No, uh, so, <laughs> when you cock it, the shell pops out like you just a spent shell. It's, re- it's really neat. Uh, so I'm like, oh, that's, that's going to be my toy. Uh, so, but you cock it in the ping, and it goes out. 
You can't walk into our house. You can't get within 100 yards of Bowen without going, look at this thing. This is the neatest thing in the world. Because the passion overwhelms that. I don't understand when we lose or why we lose that same passion. We have God Almighty, creator of the universe, savior of our souls. But we're like, I don't know if you want to go to church because it's scary. Like you talk to me for an hour and a half about the bears, but we can't talk about God at all. Where's the passion in that? And this is for me as much as it's for you, but where's the passion? I think sometimes we get these with all of our heart and soul and with all of our mind and with all of our strength. There's a combinedness there. And I think the first is with all of our passion. As a youth pastor, this was scary because the kids would do passion really, really well. They wouldn't do, they wouldn't do mind and they wouldn't do uh, strength very well, but they could get passion and jump up and down and go crazy really, really well. We, we, we need to balance these uh, in a way. And I think why God institutes this in the law is love the Lord God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength. Why he does that. Second, you need to be filled with the presence of, of God, and this is more of a passive act. Passion is this this burning. Uh, I got to do this. I got to do this. I got to do this. I gotta, so I'm, I'm so excited. And presence is a an indwelling of God's presence in your life. And this is incredibly important. This is where you meditate on Scripture. You spend time in prayer. You spend time in the Word. That you are filled with His presence. And this lets passion last longer. If we sit in presence of God, it fills us up. To be, Only passion and fires can burn for so hot for so long, and they can kind of fizzle. Presence is stoking and stoking the fire. Does this make sense? And that's where I think with all of our mind comes from. Filled with God's purpose for your life is the third thing. And this is with all your strength. I think if you have, and they're in order, if we get them in, out of order, it gets kind of crazy. We need to have a passion for God. When we first come to Christ, passion usually happens, but we have to, to do that first, and we, we learn to dwell in his presence, and then we are set alight and pushed out into purpose. Because if you have the first two, you can't help but do the third. And that's with all of your strength. I'm not just going to be static and, and be excited and not going to be just ecstatic and be presenceful. Another word I just made up. If I'm going to be purposeful, I've seen lots of people who tried to have purpose before they ever developed, ever saw passion and ever felt the presence of God. And that's just someone who's going to burn out quickly because there's nothing to sustain it. There's no fuel for that fire. That's like I poured uh, gasoline on some wet wood the other day. It was exciting. My, neighbor's, my neighbor is a fireman, so it's okay. But uh, I had a bucket of water near. I still have my eyebrows, so it was okay. But I poured some gasoline on a fire. I was trying to get going to get some brush uh, out of here. And it was, I was glad my kids weren't around because it was really stupid. And I lit the thing. And I was like, oh, that was a little bigger than I wanted to. But then it went out because the wood was so wet. Because there was nothing for it to catch on to. There was no, no, no meat for it to, to go through. And I think sometimes we get so excited about, I'm going to go do this for God. Or I'm going to go do this. I'm so excited we're going to go do that that it just kind of fizzles out because we haven't had the passion, we haven't had the presence of God, which is the, the kindling and the, the real, you know, the big sticks, the logs in there that are going to let that fire burn for a long, long time. So that's the internal practices of love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. The internal of this, how do I love my neighbor? Because if we don't have these, I don't think we can actually love our neighbor well. 
We're not going to be the neighbor that God is calling us to be. And these are the things in which that I think the lawyer was, was, he was very concerned with what it meant to be internal. But if we do not act on the external, all we're doing is just kind of soaking up things. And anybody who's used a sponge or a bucket knows that it can only hold so much water. But if you want more water to come in and out of that sponge, you've got to squeeze and you've got to pour out. And that's where loving your neighbor happens. The second fold action statement of this is, is uh, love your neighbor as yourself. How does this work? They kind of play off the first three. Practice compassion for your neighbor. Practice compassion for your neighbor. If you think about the last 10 thoughts you've had about your neighbors, did they revolve around, I wish they'd cut the grass, I wish they'd pick up their dog stuff, their kids leave toys in my yard, right? What in the world were they doing painting their house pink? <laughs> Is that a chicken? What is going on there? Um, what, what is going on there? And, and that's our only thoughts that we have with our neighbors. That was, that was me in Georgia. That was my entirety of my relationship with my neighbors was, are they going to trim the hedges? What does that look like? Oh, my goodness. I'm glad I have more of these things in my yard today. That's wonderful. Uh, it, just over, it wasn't something like, wait a minute. Compassion needed to take hold in my heart. What are they going through? What's going on? I, got, I have a neighbor who has a 21-year-old daughter who's coming home from college, and she's, she's dealing with all the stuff that a 21-year-old daughter deals with. What am I going to do with life? What, you know, how, I don't want to be home, but I have to be home because of this stage of life. And talking to a dad who has got to deal with that kind of thing. I can be like, you know what? Your daughter's having parties real late at night. It's driving me insane. Or, hey, bud, how are you doing with this? There's a decision. One of them is a compassion. One of them is a crankiness. You see the difference? If we're going to love our neighbor as ourself, I know if I had a 21-year-old daughter that was doing stuff, my, na- my neighbor's not having parties. I just made that up. So because they listen online, I don't want them to think that I don't like their daughter. She's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but if, if I have that going on, I know I'd be yearning for my neighbors to help me. And remember, when we do child dedications, what do we say? Hey, gang, we're neighbors now. We're joining in this. We're coming. I got the opportunity to walk McKenna around the sanctuary this morning. It was great. I haven't got to do that for a long time. My kids turned five. We know how to walk now. We know how to run. We know how to jump. But taking a little one that's got death grip on your fingers and walking around the room, there's something beautiful in that. I got to participate in that. As a neighbor, we get to participate in that kind of thing, whether it be whatever aspect of their life. Maybe it's an uh, end-of-life issue with their parents. Maybe it's just their going through a surgery and they need help. Maybe, who knows what all the different things. But until we have compassion, until our hearts break for our neighbors, we won't ever enter into their world enough to see their hurts and see their needs, to love them. See, the the priest and the Levite just said, well, that guy's got some issues and walked on. They saw the duty. They saw the responsibility. Maybe they saw the money it was going to cost to help this guy come come back to health. The Samaritan saw the need, and he had his eyes open to that. Second thing, you practice presence with your neighbor. You can't have compassion with your neighbor unless you're around your neighbor. And I'm talking about your immediate neighborhood. You can't love them if you're not around them. We, uh, we wanted to do something. I think we wanted to invite 
uh, I wanted to invite Jeff and his family to the block party. And they were gone for a week. And I'm like staring out the window with one of those block party invites. Like, are they here? No. Are they here? Oh, nope, that's one of the kids. Oh, are they? You know, waiting for them to come outside. It's like, how can I jump them? You know? <laughs> it's just so funny. I was laughing at myself because I just need to be near you. And then we had different things happen that we got to be around each other. But how do we have presence for those? I'm, I'm constantly talking to Kelly. How do we get, you know, how do we get into their lives a little bit more? And maybe that's a question that we need to ask. And that doesn't happen until we have compassion. That doesn't happen until our hearts break for their situation, whatever situation that's at. To say, how do I, how do I rub up against you? How do we do life together? We're doing life next to each other, but we don't do life together. How do we be a neighbor? And this enables us to fulfill our purpose, to actually be the neighbor that God has called us to be. I think this is wonderful because if you look in the loneliness statistics of our world, they are through the roof. People are just crying out for some sort of human touch. You get on Facebook to have um, contact with people, but it's fake contact. Contact. It's not real contact. And this, this is pervading our society and pervading our society. How do we? We don't have to be. Just have to love somebody and have to have compassion on somebody just in our immediate houses. You're like, Jared, I already know my neighbors. Okay, you get a cookie. Good job. Expand it. Who's your neighbor? They said, everybody's your neighbor. Jesus is not going, okay, it's only the three houses in a 50-yard radius around it. You can go bigger and bigger and bigger. Maybe your walks need to get longer. I don't know. Take care of that problem. But who is your neighbor? Love them. If we're going to reach this community for Christ... We have to redefine who our neighbor is and how we interact with our neighbor. I love that when Adam talks about his neighbor, he's mad that there's a house built in between him and one of his neighbors. We had such a good relationship. Now there's walls between us. You know, he's upset about this. That's because he built and fostered a relationship between him and his neighbors. And that's, that's beautiful. I would love to see story after story of our church. Like, oh, this is my neighbor. This is my neighbor. Okay. This is my, I met them here. I met them. We have those same neighborhoods in the cubicles in which we work, by the way. You have the same neighbors in the classrooms in which you teach. You have the same neighborhood in the places that you drop off things and you do your job. How do we love them? We love our neighbor as ourself. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. This week, as we live, as we talk, as we do life in our own little houses. How do we include someone else in that? Is it simple as taking a casserole over? My neighbor, we've started this really fun tradition now. It's, it's great. It's whenever we have a party, we take the leftovers to the neighbor's house. So my neighbor way overcooked corn on the cob, watermelon. He didn't cook a watermelon, but you know what I'm saying. <laughs> watermelon and what was the other thing? Something else. And, and so... The first thing was watermelon. They knew I'd take watermelon. And so their son, because they knew we wouldn't send away their 10-year-old son, comes over. He's like, got some watermelon for you? Okay. Well, he reports back to mom. Mom's like, oh, he took it. And so all of a sudden, there's like trays of food showing up at our house. We're like, oh, Lord. So we had our party uh, for the kids a couple weeks ago. And so we, my mom made the, a vat, if you will, of macaroni and cheese. <laughs> If you were there, you know, it was like the, you could done the backstroke in this thing. Uh, so 
and we had lots of macaroni and cheese. And so I'm scooping it up and I'm going over and like, I got some this time. And I hand it to the wife. And she's like, ooh, I'm not telling my husband. <laughs> and so, so there, we were trading uh, these things over just to, to, to deal with each other, to, to bump into each other's life. And um, I don't know where that relationship's going to go. I like them. They're the best neighbors I've ever had so far. But uh, who knows who's, who's living next to you? Who knows what kind of lifelong friends are there? My, my mother-in-law has a pair of friends called the Cranics. And um, they met each other when they were 25, 26 years old in their first jobs in Cincinnati. And the Cranics um, are this wonderful couple. And they live two doors down um, in Cincinnati, Ohio. The Cranics, ever since now, ever since then, they go to, on vacation with them every year. You know who the first people were in the door when uh, Kelly's dad um, died? The Cranics were the first people in the hospital. They were in the hospital longer than I was because I go to take care of the kids. Marty, the man, plopped himself in a chair, had a book. I was like, I'm here. Anybody walk in the door? Marty offered a smile and a handshake. Any relatives? That's what he did. He loved them. He loved them. He loves them. That's a neighbor. It's a neighbor that lives 500 or 300 miles away from him now. And I start looking around my life and the neighbors in which I interact with. I'm like, I don't, I don't have neighbors like that. My neighbors in Georgia, if I would have died, they'd have been like, mm, hope somebody mows the grass. I'm just honest. Is that the kind of relationship we want when God says, what, love your neighbor as yourself? Is that the kind of relationship that you're in for? No, it's the kind of relationship that says, hey, you're hurting in the hospital and I will be there. That's the kind of neighbor I want to be and I hope that's the kind of neighbor that, I know it's the kind of neighbor that God's calling you to be. And so I want to pray right now. Maybe you've had no relationship with your neighbors. Maybe you have. I, I don't know. I'm not judging you on your neighborness. But let's pray earnestly for God to break our hearts for the neighbors around us, that he would just show us how he sees them. And maybe there's lost people. Maybe the best Christians you've ever met are your neighbor. Wonderful. They still need love. Maybe the most lost people you know are next door to you. I don't know what, what, what little sphere of influence you have around you, but that God would break our hearts. Let's pray for that this morning. God, thank you so much for this opportunity and this day and this time. God, that you would just break us. That in our quest, in our drive to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. That we could love our neighbors as ourselves. That we would be shaped by that. That we would be moved in that. That we would not see our neighbor as the guy who does that, but the guy who needs you. That we would see opportunity in every conversation. In every tool loan. In the way we rake leaves, in the way we plow snow. God, I, I pray for the Galettis, and I pray for Jeff, my neighbors. I pray for Jose, who's on the right of me. God, I pray that you would. Give me opportunities to love them. And I pray for the Tessimers' neighbors, that the Tessimers could be your hands and feet this week in a unique way. And I pray, <clears throat> I pray for all these people, that they would have opportunities. That they, Why are they talking to me so much? Oh, because you want me to be their neighbor. God, that you would shape us. That you would give us a passion that you would give us a presence and you would give us a purpose.
God, I ask you to break my heart. I ask you to break my heart for the kids that go to the school right here. Some enter with so much excitement and some enter with trepidation. Now we can love them better. That you break our heart for this neighborhood, for this, these houses that surround us, the people that have all kinds of things going on. Lord, we love you. We praise your name. Amen.